Hey, hello, I'm Tommy Chong. If you want something really nice in your laboratory, buy Durachill. I'm telling you, if you're not using this Durachill, you're not really in the pot business. You're just on the fringe of it. So if you really want to get serious, man, this is what you need. You need a Durachill in your life. You've got the technology here to have the cleanest, purest, healthiest product. I'm impressed. You want me to sell this? Buy it. Try Durachill or else. If your chiller's down, you ain't making money. And you heard it from me, Tommy Chong. Brought to you by PolyScience. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks, brought to you by PolyScience. This is Patricia Miller, Managing Editor for Cannabis and Tech Today. And in this episode, we're talking about cybersecurity. Um, so you hear about it in the news, but could it actually affect your business? Um, our guest today says that everyone is vulnerable to this kind of attack. Um, so joining me is Violet Sullivan, a cybersecurity-focused attorney and adjunct professor at Baylor Law School. She's also the vice president of client engagement at Redpoint Cyber. Thanks for joining us, Violet. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I think this is a super important topic. And as people are coming into the cannabis space, um, I don't know if their first thought is, how do I protect all of this client data? How do I protect my own vulnerable information? Um, and I think it's super important, especially as things are advancing. I mean, it becomes kind of a bigger issue all the time. But before we dive into all of these details, um, maybe we can learn a bit more about Violet Sullivan. What drew you to, to this part of the industry, to cybersecurity? Well, I've been in cybersecurity for 10 years, and most people have an accidental story about how they got into cybersecurity, but I started on the operational side. So very unconventionally kind of went from being a lawyer at a firm to coming to um, a company that did this thing called responding to data breaches. And I didn't know what a data breach was. This was like six months after Target. Um, so we were just starting to hear that word in the English language of being something other than just a security breach or someone busting into a physical location. Uh, and and the, the great thing was, is in that experience, I was working and being the coordinator on the side of the, the legal counsel that called and said, my client has been breached. We need to stand up. Um, we need to print out the letters that we have to, have to print out for every different state and all the people affected. We need to work on the call center. So it was a lot of operational details, but it made me get excited for how many people in this ecosystem work on a cyber security attack? So it's not just the technical experts. It's not just the lawyer. It's like 300 other people that basically run together and go work on something. And so when you say, when I say, when I was there three months, I got to work on Home Depot. And, but so did so many other people. So it's not like a, a badge of honor. You know, it is. I, I do still say it, you know, seven, eight years later. But being able to work on Home Depot, Sony, Anthem, some of those biggest data breaches early on in that era of cyber incidents, that gave me a lot of good experience and exposure. And then we realized, um, or, or the group that I worked with realized that you can't bank, and this is probably very similar to cannabis, there's certain volatility in the market when you're banking on uh, cleaning up hackers that, that, that um, attack uh, different organizations. And so if you're banking on that, that's not recurring revenue, that's random revenue. And it could be big pops. You could get $78 million at once, or you could get 
you know, nothing for three quarters. So we had to build in recurring revenue. And that's when I kind of shifted to the mitigation side. I was told by our CEO, you need to create something called tabletops. You need to figure out how to practice cyber incidents with organizations so that we can get recurring revenue each year. And we created kind of like operational insurance. If we can work with the group and mitigate and practice what you need to prevent and how you can how you can uh, approach a cybersecurity incident, then you can offset even the cyber insurance piece. So you can try to prevent on the front end or also be able to be reactive on the other end. So from there, I kind of moved to the insurance side, like the risk management side and, and helped with a lot of the different cyber insurance groups, um, even helped on the triage for the breach calls again. So I've been on a lot of different breach calls when people say everything hit the fan, oh, the screens are dark, there's skull and crossbones on the, you know, on the screen. So I've been on some of those really interesting calls throughout the last 10 years. And that was, it's really good experience where I'm now because as an attorney, I've always wanted to be more technical. So in my career, I've kind of moved from, okay, I'm, I'm doing the operational side. Now I'm doing the insurance risk management side. And now I'm on the forensics uh, with, I'm with a forensics company, which means I'm with a technical team that helps figure out what happened, like what happened in your computers, in your systems, in your networks. And th- something that I love about what I do is I love to play translator. And so that's why, I'm, again, I'm loving to be on this podcast because I think what this industry really needs is a translator on how technology impacts the way you do business and how that becomes a risk because you're using computers. So before using computers, when it was all just paper and and phones and and pagers and that kind of thing, it used to be so much, it it wasn't as much of a risk because you could do the things to sell your product in a way that that didn't rely on technology. But if you use technology now and that becomes infected, you have a stop in the supply chain or you have a stop in the sales. So I think the biggest question, and I know this is a long winded way of giving you my background, but I think the biggest question here is really to just dig into what do you use internet and computers for and phones because phones are also mini computers. So mm. we need to talk about that. Um, and then from the academic side, I also am just interested in different perspectives and areas. And so that's what intrigued me to come on today, because uh, I also teach this from a law school per- perspective for the LLM class, which is that degree you get after your JD. So I get to teach all these people that come back, uh, litigators that, that go, what is cyber? I didn't have this in mind when I went to law school. And now I get to kind of explain to them. Uh, and the, the best compliment I've ever received from that class is, that I can put the fear of God into a room full of tough lit- litigators because of cyber risk. So it is a very scary subject and uh, I, I'm very passionate about it. You can't tell. <laughs> no, it's, it sounds so nuanced. And I think um, when you hear about it, you're like, well, just install some Norton and I'm good. But yeah. there's uh, sounds like a lot of players at work um, who can, who can help avoid these possible breaches and, 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 and also you mentioned insurance, which I think is maybe something people don't know is available. Um, are there aspects of the cannabis space that make it kind of challenging um, for cybersecurity? Like I know getting traditional insurance in, in the cannabis space is difficult. Does that apply with malware insurance as well? 
or cyber insurance? Cyber insurance. Yeah. Cyber insurance is probably the biggest like bucket that we can put this in. There's a lot of different things that you can categorize it as, but specifically, but take, take out the cannabis area for a second, specifically cyber insurance has gotten very tough over the last couple of years because there was a huge hit in ransomware, which interrupted business continuity. Basically businesses stopped functioning. We saw this with colonial pipeline last summer. We saw this with JBS, which was a manufacturer of meat. Uh, so it, you no longer had companies because I, I have many companies say to me over the last 10 years, we're not sexy enough to get hit by hackers. Like we're not cool enough. There's no reason why anyone would want my stuff. And the same would probably go for your audience. Like why would anyone hack us? What do we have? It yeah. doesn't matter anymore, right? Like it doesn't matter what you have is that you could be a point person to somebody else, or you could be a, you know, they, they just hacked Somerset, New Jersey, the, the random County in the middle of New Jersey. And those that, that entire County had to go back to all their information from 1977 title records that they had, because nothing was available that was online at all. Wow. They had to go back to Gmail. They had to go to like the entire County was down with, with complete non-access to their files. Uh, so it's not about like, to me, it's not about all of the stuff that you're, you know, Coca-Cola and you have hidden secrets and you can't give yeah. it out or your health insurance company and you can't have your PHI, your health information leaked. It's just about, this is a risk now of doing business at all when you work in computers. So if you're going to accept that you're going to save files on your computer, you have to assume those files can just be gone. Like wow. they, they, they could just disappear. Like everything you're looking at right now on your computer, it could all just be gone in a second. And that's just because a whim of some outside attacker that for some reason sees you as a hopping point to something else. So the insurance question that you have is it's hard to get insurance now anyway. Most brokers are telling me that it's three times the cost that it was a couple of years ago. Like wow. this is really increased in cost. And there are certain cyber insurance groups, which are kind of scaling back what they used to do, which is give insurance to everyone and what they're scaling back on are high risk areas. And so they see mm -hmm. cannabis as a more volatile area. And I, I you know, mentioned this to you as we were working on the call. I have a friend who works for an underwriter that I asked to, you know, do you want to join me at this conference? It's on cyber, but under the conference, it also said, we're going to be talking about cannabis. It wasn't a cannabis conference. It was just it was like five emerging areas. And one of the areas was cyber and one of the end was cannabis. And because it even mentioned cannabis, she couldn't even come speak with me at the conference. She couldn't even attend uh, or be there associated with, with cannabis because it was something they did not write, which means they did not ensure that risk. Like they didn't, they didn't protect that risk of those companies. And I don't know all the ins and outs on why, but I do know there are a tiny group that do ensure that. I know that there's, you know, that's something I don't want to say the name of the company without um, being a hundred percent sure. But the couple that I have in mind that I worked with a couple of years ago, when I started seeing the names come in, because I will say the cannabis names are pretty clever. And there's some names of companies that you're like, Oh, I see what they did with that pun there. Right. Like they have the, the, the funny joke puns and they're a little bit more your whole industry, I feel like is a little bit more clever in how you create the names and, and set up everything. So I could tell, oh my gosh, there's some coming in that are insured. There are some that are getting cyber insurance that were um, in the past couple of years that I saw come through. And I know that there's specific groups that insure them. So I would just kind of leave that as a, 
a follow-up if anyone is in, curious about it, um, knowing that it might be costly, but wants to like l- hear about it. I don't sell insurance, but I can definitely recall some of the, uh, and check in with some of the groups that I know do, if anyone's interested in that. I would just say cyber insurance isn't just about the pocketbook and the purse. If you have a breach, it covering the cost, like that's the original thought of insurance is if we get hit with ransomware and we are down for six days and we lose, you know, $700,000 worth of profit because we're down with all of our internet for six days and we lose all of our files and our client contacts or information. And we can prove that we lost that information. They'll cover the cost, but it's not just about the cost. It's also that cyber insurance has created like this ecosystem of experts. So when you don't have IT and you need someone to rebuild something, or you need someone to negotiate with the threat actors, the bad guys, or you need to just get the ransomware screen off your computer and you don't know what it is, you have experts to call. And there's technical experts, legal experts, and even PR experts, which you actually might need if you guys have sensitive, very sensitive data. Like, do you really want your client list to be exposed on national media that these are all the people that bought weed from you? Like that's sensitive data. And that reminds me of like, you know, there were, there were breaches in the past that have a reputational harm aspect. I mean, I worked with a plastic surgeon's office that exposed all the pictures of all their patients getting boob jobs, you know? And so there's, there's a lot of sensitive data out there that you won't think about. And I think that's probably, I mean, business interruptions big, like you're going to, if your computers are down, you can't do a lot of stuff, but it's also the sensitive data that you have to worry about reputational harm, I think. And I don't know what, I don't know what would happen if your client data got lost. Cause I've never seen a breach of cannabis data, but I feel like that's a, that's like one of those hot button things where people don't want necessarily want other people to know that they bought from you. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of um, dispensaries now are serving both medical, you know, and recreational patients and, something I've talked about with uh, other lawyers who are serving the cannabis space is that um, HIPAA style, you know, privacy laws might be coming to the industry because you really have to protect um, that data and kind of treat it like, like it's medically sensitive because often it is. Um, So are they saying, or is our healthcare covered entities asking cannabis groups to sign a covered entity or not covered a uh, business associates agreement? Meaning, are they are they asking them to sign a contract that says we're giving you sensitive data because you're we're prescribing what your product is, so we're asking you to sign a contract with us? Are they getting in contracts with these cannabis distributors? I couldn't answer that. I I don't know for sure. Um, I think in some states, like Illinois, recently started asking medical providers to um, medical cannabis providers to sign documentation stating that they're protecting that information of at least their medical patients. Um, But I think other states are still really lagging behind as far as protecting that data, but it all kind of comes back to, you've got all of this information stored in your systems and you, do you consider it your duty, your, your responsibility to to protect your client's information. And I think even if it's Home Depot or, or any industry, um, you've really got to kind of treat that like your most sacred asset 
because your clients are expecting it out of you. But it's not something that I think is on the forefront of every customer's mind. Like, yeah, here's my phone number, my address, my email. And they're increasingly asking for more and more personal information, even if you're just buying a piece of wood. Um, and that's all accessible on these servers if you're not doing things doing things properly. And I think the cannabis space particularly um, could be vulnerable to this. And you're getting uh, payment information. Uh, it's a lot of you know, very sensitive stuff. I don't think people would want, would want shared. Um, and there's a couple levels of that too, because it's not just about reputational and like, oh, we have a duty to like, we have a ethical duty to take care of our customers data. If they're taking information from individuals that includes things like their healthcare number or their address, plus a, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're not taking socials, but if they're taking things like, um, you know, personally identifiable information for those individuals, especially in California, because there are so many heightened restrictions on privacy there. It's not just a nice to have. If there is a loss of data, even for cannabis, you are going to have a state AG knocking on your door saying, you need to notify those individuals. And if your group is beyond your state, every all 50 different, all 50 states have different privacy laws. And it depends on the person's information. So it's not like industry specific. If any company of any size lost data that was for the human's data, like privacy information that was categorized as sensitive by their state that they lived in, you'd have to have, you'd have to do something. Like you yeah. would have to notify them. So that's where all these letters come from. That's where like, you know, we're just losing trees everywhere because we everyone is requiring that you send these letters to people saying we've lost your data. And cannabis is not exempt from that just because, and especially I would say, because you, you kind of uh, hang your hat on the state laws. So you kind of have to do good by the state laws, right? Like that's yeah. your, it's not the federal, you know, like there's no, there's no national federal privacy law, but the states are really big on privacy so Indiana, for example, if you have one person that left Cal, you know, you, you're a distributor in California and you're, you even have an employee and you have all, maybe you have the, I don't, do you do, I guess you don't do W2s. Do you, do you have W2s for yeah. employees? Okay. So if you have a W2 for an employee and it has a social security number and they moved to Indiana from like, you know, that you fired them two years ago and they moved over there, Indiana attorney general wants you to pick up the phone and let them know, Hey, I lost Joe's information. Even though he was an employee from two years ago, his information was lost. It was our obligation. If you don't, you could get fines of penalties and you can get sued. So it, you know, it's, it's very new. And so we don't hear a lot of these stories of settlements and, and litigation, but it's very, there's, there's just so many rules out there that you have to pay attention to sensitive information. And it's not just like you should, it's the state law requires. It's just people don't really know about that unless they have had a breach. Well, so I want to dive into um, some sort of actionable things people can do to to protect their information and their clients' information, protect their businesses. Um, Before we do that, we're going to take a brief sponsor break um, to pay the bills, and we'll be right back with more from Violet Sullivan. Every cultivator knows that facility design can make or break your grow. So why not choose the team with over 15 years of experience in the industry? 
CERNA Cultivation Technologies provides floor plan and architectural services, comprehensive HVACD equipment, lighting and benching, and so much more, all within your budget. It's time to grow your way. Go to CERNA.com, that's S-U-R-N-A.com to learn more. All right, we're back with Violet Sullivan um, talking about cybersecurity. So we've got a lot of people entering the cannabis space, retailers, uh, manufacturers, people who maybe haven't haven't owned a business in another industry before, or they have, but aren't sure uh, you know, how to protect, how to deal with having this much data from, from their customers and how do they keep that safe. Do you have any like tips or suggestions for, you know, some beginner 101 stuff that people can do to protect themselves? Sure. And I'll start with one that you mentioned, because I know you mentioned slapping on Norton antivirus. Um, that was that would be what I would qualify as a tool, like a technical tool. So going, let's go back to, you mentioned HIPAA. I think they are one of the first 20 years ago that started with um, a industry-wide, like let's translate this for the healthcare industry. And I think they put it really well when they said, you need three things in place. You need you need technical controls, administrative controls, and physical controls. So I'll take each of those kind of and dissect it and give you better words. So technical tools are the things like what you just said, the antivirus, there's next generation antivirus. There's even things called EDR, MDR, XDR. Those acronyms basically mean having a security system around your computer so that bells and whistles go off when there's bad things happening. Like that's just the translation um, between, that's just the translation for some of the technical tools that are out there. And there's a lot of great tools. The other part of the tools um, are around backups. And that's because business interruption or stopping like your computer just going black is such a big risk that you need to make sure that you have good backups in place because you won't ever have to pay a ransom if you could literally just wipe your computer and restart from five minutes ago. Mm. If you can build from a backup, if you can basically have a clone of everything you carry, and that's why clouds are so popular because it it has like kind of a, a repeatable backup option. And if you have that backup, which is another technical tool, then even when you have the bells and whistles, you can turn everything off and then rebuild. So you have kind of like two layers of, of technical security. This is the case, even if you, whether you have one IT person or no IT people or an outside IT group, I think it is relevant though to say, and just to remind people, IT people are not usually security people. Like those are separate. And I think it's a very big, and they'll, they'll both tell you the same thing. Like anyone on the IT side or security side will say, well, we're not one of those. Think of the IT people that you use as getting your computer up and running, plugging in the cords and an- answering questions and troubleshooting. Like uh, when you can't get access to a server that you're connected to, or like kind of getting you working, getting you up and running, getting your new person, their laptop and getting all of the licenses and all of the like word, word. And I mean, I'm I'm simplifying it. I'm not trying to say that they have a simple job, but they have a really hard job, but it's more about getting everyone the tools to make their life faster and easier. Security people sometimes even slow down the IT people because they're saying, wait a second, you're giving everyone the same level of access. We need to have different layers of access because if you take all of the employee data, we need to have you separate over here. And they start creating rules around how you can work. So they kind of make our lives harder, security people, cybersecurity people, 
But it's very different distinction to say those tools that I mentioned, sometimes if they're created and, and watched by IT, sometimes they won't recognize and understand the bells and whistles, or sometimes they might not do the patches quickly. So every now and then I would say it's good to have an outside security person kind of do an audit or look at it. Um, and that's a lot of what you see in the compliance requirements too, HIPAA, um, CCPA, like NYDFS, New York Department of Financial Services. There's a lot of acronyms out there that say you need a risk assessment. You need to look at your cyber risk and ask questions. That's basically it. So technical controls, like the software that you put on it, the bells and whistles. Uh, the physical controls, which this is interesting because you also have to think about like the physical locks on your doors, you know, like the physical locks on the server doors or like, where do you keep your computers? Or like, do you put it in the trunk or is it going to get stolen out of your, you know, out of your, the back of your car? Oh, uh yeah. That physical loss can also be a data breach if you don't have encryption on your computer. So that's kind of a combination of physical and technical because technical would be you encrypt your laptop so that if anyone logs into it, they can't get in and see it unless they have a password. But if you have that password sticker on there and it says your password on your laptop, that's a <laughs> physical control that you haven't, you know, you shouldn't have that. You shouldn't have that in place. So there's even like, people who, and I'll give the example, when we like try to hack, like companies will pay groups like mine to try to hack into our system to see if someone can get in. Basically good guy hackers to see where the holes are. Yeah, And it's called usually penetration testing. And there's all kinds of spectrum. You could do a very automatic pen test, or you can do a more manual, like, let's try to like hunt down and see if we can get it. And one of the most creative ways of, of doing this that I've seen is dropping USBs in the parking lot of your company, like seeing if anyone picks it up and plugs it in your computer and then there's ransomware on there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and then there's like all other kinds, like um, I'm in a hotel room right now. I'm not going to show you because I have like stuff everywhere, but there's these, you know, USBs every time you go to a hotel room and there are confirmed cases of what's called juice jacking, where if you plug your USB into a USB cord, it can be manipulated to actually transfer information through the USB cord rather than just power. Yeah. So there's all kinds of crazy things. And that's like, so that goes into the physical control. Like, are you aware, are you just common sense aware of who could have physical access to your computers? And are you putting barriers beyond around that so that they can't get to it readily so that you're not just leaving your laptop in plain sight at a conference to get stolen. Uh, And then administrative controls. And this is what most people yawn about this, but this is like basically putting the rules in place because this covers so many areas. Basically, unless you tell people, we as a cannabis company, A, B, C, are giving you a computer to do your job and we expect you to use it in a way that's safe and not go on like dirty sites and download bad content or like go on, like we, we expect you to use it in a way like you're an employee. And those rules, sometimes it's called like a uh, acceptable use policy, like acceptable use of equipment that helps you also educate your users and users are the number one um, entry point for attackers, because if even if you on the technical side, so remember technical, physical and administrative, if on the technical side, you, you spend $2 million dollars putting fences around and, and bells and whistles around your, all of your technology, 
if you have one person, Patricia, your name, uh, username and password, one person steals your username and password, they get past all of that fancy um, perimeter defense. They get past all of it if they can get your your login credentials. It's just like when you log into Gmail. Like if someone can get your Gmail login and your password, they can get in and they can trick Gmail. Except for that awesome thing where they can send you that geo, you know, locator and says someone logged in from Saudi Arabia here or someone logged in from somewhere else. Um, those kind of things are there for security, like to show you, but most companies don't have what Gmail has. Like most companies don't have the ability to say, oh, you logged in from somewhere else. This looks weird. That's another layer of security that you probably don't have. So you want to make sure to educate your users so they don't fall for really smart phishing attacks. And that's why you hear all this stuff about don't click on the link because humans are the ones that make the mistakes that cause the companies to fall. That's what happened with the, uh, in 2016 with the DNC, um, the leak with all the um, Democratic National Convention leak with all the Hillary Clinton emails. Yeah. That one email got sent to John Podesta. uh, And I have a clip of it to show you sometime if you want to see, but it was a um, link, a phishing link. And he clicked on it. And that's how all of the, you know, all the exposed emails got out. So it's not, again, this is, to me, that would be, that would be more worst case scenario for your group than like a, a leak of all emails, a leak of all communications. That would be worse to me than, you know, the rant, the skull and crossbones on the screen. Cause you'd be like, ah, eh, we can be without our computers for a couple of days. Right. Like maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, but that's the, that's two risks. I'd like everyone to really come away with is can you be without your screens for, you know, days or weeks. Mm. And, and cause I, I'm working with three clients right now that, or work without screens completely, without all their technology and files? Or two, can you deal with a media outlet exposing your back and forth emails, your client list, and your sensitive employee information? Like, can you can you handle that? And if you can't handle that risk, that, that's kind of doing a really quick risk assessment. What it What is your capacity to respond to that? And if you don't know how to even internally do it, then that's when I would say you need to think about cyber insurance, not just for the money aspect of covering it, but also for the access to all the experts, because all those experts, every cyber insurance company has negotiated the lowest rates possible. So if you went out on the street and tried to find a cyber lawyer and a cyber forensics and all these different people, you'd have to one, do all that work by yourself to figure out who's good and who's not good and like vet everybody but you'd also have to, you'd probably have to pay three times more <laughs> for, the, for the experts. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot. And it seems like the way that hackers are, are luring us into their links um, is kind of evolving and always kind of changing. I know at our our own business um, every day, someone posts in our group chat, like, Hey, watch out for this email. And, you know, I almost got this one sounded just like our boss, you know, and um, it seems like they're, they're getting more sophisticated. What do you see on the horizon for like threats that maybe aren't on everybody's radar right now, but might become a bigger issue? Well, I think it's interesting for thinking about the evolution to look where they have gone because ransomware is very new. It's only evolved over the last, I don't know, five to eight years. It's not, a you know, I feel like it's been a little bit longer than that, but it, it's only evolved because when we started off in data breach land, which is more like 
leaking data, exposure of data, like Target and Home Depot and like these ones you, we remember hearing about in the early 2014-15, um, um, that evolved because hackers back then would have to get into a system, find a way in, they'd have to take the data, they'd have to take it out of the system, meaning they have to like export it somewhere, like you do when you send something to Box or Dropbox, they have to find some way to get it out. And then they have to look through it and then they have to put it for sale on the black market. So there's so many steps. And mm -hmm. they realized with ransomware that they could they're like, wait a second, if we, instead of doing all of that work, if we were smart, work smarter, not harder, uh, we could just lock you out of your information, Patricia, we could lock you out of all your files and say, don't you wish you had your ability to do your job? Like, don't you <laughs> want to pay us one Bitcoin so that you can do your job and make it easier? Um, you know, get back up and running. Do you want us to keep doing revenue? And this works really well for like manufacturers, like we saw with, um, or a colonial pipeline. Like, don't you want to still sell gas? Well, yeah. you have to pay the ransom if you want to still sell gas, because we have basically wow. took that, taken down all of your equipment and that halt to business is actually really smart of them. <laughs> like just to think about the evolution, because they were like, wait a second, you value your data way more than we do, or way more mm -hmm. than we can get it on the black market. You value it and you value that sensitive stuff, right? That we talked about, like your client list. So if I can extort you and I'm already doing a bad thing, I'm already hacking, like why not add to the level of bad? Like um, <laughs> let's just, let's just add extortion to that, right? And that level of extortion is not to them it was a kind of a twist in the business model. So it, it became easier for them. And now, you know, in the last, again, five to eight years, there's all this debate on pay or not pay. There's all this debate on, should we have rules from the, from political, you know, from the political stage, should we have rules that say you can never pay a ransom, which doesn't exist right now, even though there's OFAC guidance, which is financial, um, financial treasury group, department of treasury, there is OFAC guidance that you can't pay certain bad guys. Like if they're if they're really bad, you can't pay them. But if they're you know semi bad, then you can pay them. So there's all of this stuff around them around this. I that don't take that. For, I have yeah. a lot of attorney friends to refer to on OFAC guidance. But um, the funny thing about this evolution of threat is it doesn't seem that even a political ruling that says you can never pay a ransom again is going to work because, and I'll give the example, one, your industry has been able to bend rules for a long time and figure those out. But also, you know, some of the saddest calls I get um, on when, when I get a breach call, uh, even it's ransomware, we can still call it a breach call, is when I get a call from someone who says, it's me and my husband that we own this doctor's office. You know, I'm the doctor and he runs the front office and we have been doing this for 20 years and we have all of our patient data and it's all just gone, like completely gone. And we don't have backups. And so because they don't have an ability to get all that client data, they would literally have to close their door if they didn't pay the ransom. So they're sitting there saying, you know, $300,000 is not a lot of money if, because I have cyber insurance, that was, you know, one thing, but also if we have to literally close our doors because we don't have a single piece of paper on any patient that we've ever had, like it's, wow. it's the same. I think it, it makes you question. And again, I would never advocate pay a ransom, but you can't ignore the fact that certain businesses, especially small companies would have to close down if they didn't have their information, like if they didn't have their files. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really big risk for your industry too, that like, if you don't have cyber insurance, that makes it even harder to pay 
And if you don't backups, then you're just, you, you could be out of business. And so the evolution of threat to back to your question is, I think ransomware is still going strong. And we've also seen with like Ukraine and Russia that sometimes they wipe it and they don't even have the, they don't even keep the backup or the decryptor. So there's like wiper ransomware that's evolving where they just completely delete everything and you have to figure out how to, how to get it back. So I guess in the evolution of this, um, I think the other weird thing is there's a lot, there's going to be evolution on AI, like um, with deep fakes, have you heard of deep fakes? Like how people are like creating fake images and voice of mm-hmm. figures of that, you know, in the industry. So if it was like your CEO, they could try to emulate the CEO's voice to tell him wire, you know, $2 million or something. I mean, that's pretty sci-fi. Like that's not happening every day, but I think, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of predictions out there. Um, there, even the law enforcement, the federal law enforcement is saying we are constantly like catching up to the bad guys. Like they are very far ahead, um, on creativity, on getting money out of, you know, this world, but it's also very interesting to say, like, these aren't just bad guys on the technical side. Like this money is going to bad stuff. This money is going to sex trafficking. This money is going to, um, cartels. This money is going and, and going all over the place. So this is not a, um, this is not a good evolution, but we, we just have to figure out how to catch up to it. Wow. Great points um, that I really hadn't considered. Uh, I think a lot of people have been hearing about deep fakes, but personally, I hadn't considered how you could apply it on a smaller, uh, less, you know, celebrity scale um, to, to take advantage of people. And then, of course, where is that money going? What What's mm-hmm. being funded by these um, this exploitation? So, yeah, that's some really heavy stuff to think about. Um, well, but, yeah, but crucial. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say to get lighter, it might be easy to go back to your common sense question on what you can do. Cause I think when I laid it out, it was too HIPAA language. I feel like if I were to say the top things like one person company could do is put two factor authentication on every account, meaning yeah. make your, make you prove it's you beyond just a password. Like basically have, you know, like, I don't even know where my phone is right now, but have your phone be able to prove, Hey, that's me. Um, and then also have to log, like log in and improve it. So two factor is like the number one way right now to mitigate as a at a user level, not number one. I, it's it's one of the biggest ways, and I think it's one of the ways that it's hard to fake unless your user's just clicking every time someone tries to access. Like um, if you just get a pop up and you didn't actually log in, that might be a hacker, and you might have just let the hacker in by clicking the pop up. True. So two factor then training, because that's, you know, to me, you have to train anyone that uses a computer, even if they're, you know, 80 years old and don't want to learn it, or if they're, you know, 18 years old and think they know it all, like you still have to train um, your people how to use your equipment correctly. Mm. And then the final thing is actually ask yourself the tough questions. I mean, there's a lot of other things I could say, but I think that'll get to other evolutions, like protecting yourself if you actually address what your risk would be if you got hit with a cyber attack. That's yeah. I think those are super solid and approachable ways to kind of start protecting yourself and start thinking about the very real possibility that this could happen to you. Um, Where could our listeners go to find more information about what you're doing and about um, your, your company? 
Well, uh, you can email me at violet at redpointcyber.com or you can even connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. I like to share a lot of stuff. So uh, if you are on LinkedIn, that's a good way to connect. And I hopefully, I just submitted to um, speak on cannabis and cyber, uh, not cannabis, cyber at the cannabis conference um, in November in DC. So maybe I'll see some people there as well for it's a CLM is the conference name, I think, uh, claims liability management. Okay, great. Um, have you got any parting thoughts for our uh, audience? Well, yes, I do. Uh, I, I have this new thing that I say when I'm practicing, I do a lot of practicing with different industries on how they would respond to a cyber attack. And it's called a tabletop, but people do tabletops for a lot of other disasters, hurricanes, and FEMA does tabletops for other natural disasters. Um, those practices of real life, you know, stress and, and drama help you realize like what you would do. And the recent thing I've been telling people is don't you wish you could have done this before COVID? Like, don't you wish you could have practiced, even though that would have been so boring to talk about sanitation and masks and vaccines and employees getting back to work and how do we work remotely? But like all that minute details that we learned in two years after COVID on how to like live differently and do business differently. Don't you wish now we could have like planned it out? Like just for like a couple hours, like in in 2019, like we just sat down and talked through how we were going to adapt. Well, that is what I challenge you to do now because cyber risk is way more likely than a global global pandemic. And you're way more likely to get hit by cyber incident than a, you know, another COVID situation happening. So I think that's kind of my final, uh, my final thing to say. I appreciate that. Um, I think I learned a lot. I think I might do some backups when we hang up. Um, <laughs> but uh, for for everyone listening, if you enjoyed this discussion around emerging technology um, in the cannabis space, feel free to follow Cannabis Tech Talks on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we've also got our most recent issue is out on Barnes & Noble newsstands uh, across the country and in Canada. So grab a copy. Um, and until next time, uh, thanks for joining us and stay elevated. 